are you sort of successful because uh, you know what you're doing or are you just lucky? Like in, in sort of 999 lifetimes, would you have been able to like pick yourself up and sort of make a life for yourself? Or if I took everything away from you and dropped you in the middle of India, like could you figure it out? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, a interview podcast featuring conversations with fascinating investors, entrepreneurs, content creators, and subject matter experts in a variety of interesting subjects. Today, we have the pleasure of bringing Robbie Wade on the show. Robbie has a very interesting backstory. He spent five years, essentially all of college, working at McDonald's, went from whatever the entry-level position is at McDonald's to running a store. He was a venture investor. He was a private banking manager, boutique crypto project advisors. He was super early to the crypto space, former CEO of the startup called Vid, and has been advising crypto companies since 2015. But we don't really bring him on here to talk about any of that. We talk about his new startup. It's called This App which is bringing a chat-themed super app to the West. It's kind of like if you ever heard of WeChat, it's the dominant app within China. It's this humongous thing. Uh, He explains what it is and why it's so dominant in their day-to-day life over in China. And he discusses why it's his goal to bring something similar to the United States and to the rest of the quote-unquote Western world. I don't really know the quite, I don't quite know the proper vocabulary for how we divide the world into different quadrants and sections anymore, but WeChat's a thing in China, and he's trying to make something for everywhere that's not China. And this conversation covers the importance of designing apps to optimize for life off the screen rather than life on the screen, how he handled recruiting at the startup during a hyper-funded VC bull market when software engineers were just all expecting to make buku amounts of money. We discussed the story of creating this app and a whole lot more. I'm excited for you to check out this conversation. Robbie's a really interesting guy. The three of us had a super fun time recording this conversation. So without further ado, I will switch to it now. Robbie, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. Very excited to be chatting with you today. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to diving in. Is there anywhere you guys like to start? There's a specific place we'd like to start, actually. Uh, so you and I first connected last year in August, August 22nd, uh, a mutual friend recommended to me that I would really benefit from talking to you. And after the call, I sent you a summary of like takeaways from the call. And one of those was to really continue to focus on building your life resume. Cause it was mostly like a career oriented call, right? I hadn't had a job mm-hmm. yet. I was kind of thinking like, what do I do next? What are some of your recommendations? Uh, but you really had hammered the point of like international travel and building your life resume. So I want to ask you what you've recently done to build your life resume, not just this oh okay um you know this is probably a part of my life where i've been building it a little less than i probably usually do so um it's interesting you asked that uh, i would say you know i moved to san francisco within the last nine months so uh i i moved countries again um i one thing i've done in my life resume most recently is what we were just talking about before the call is really i traveled a lot when i was younger i spent a lot of time in like self-development and learning um and reading and educating myself and figuring out what i wanted to do uh life-wise um i think a lot of my exploration and curiosity at the moment has been around health and like my body so i would say like my life resume has been much more like body orientated and whether it's been like seeing like endurance, uh, endurance activities. Like, you know, I ran my first half marathon, then marathon, then did a triathlon, then, you know, heading into a half Ironman in September and stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like I never thought that I could do any of these things. Um, and just exploring that, uh, capacity. But I guess a lot of that confidence had came from 
the travel that I'd done when I was younger. Um, and, you know, just living in a different country and, and living even in a different state, I think it's, it's the main reason I sort of give that, gave that advice to you is like, I think it's incredibly powerful to be able to continue to, I, I think Naval Ravikant has this saying like in, like, are you sort of successful because uh, you know what you're doing or are you just lucky? Like in, in sort of 999 lifetimes, would you have been able to like pick yourself up and sort of make a life for yourself? Or if I took everything away from you and dropped you in the middle of India, like, could you figure it out um, in that sense? And I think knowing that you can gives you a different level of confidence. Like it's very easy when you're like, I was talking to one of my friends and I, I know I'm sort of jumping around, but I was talking to one of my friends last night and she was saying that she hosted like a launch event for her startup, right? Um, in New York at NFT NYC. Um, the event had a hundred person capacity and 70 people turned up and she invited, you know, a certain number of people and there was a conversion. She was disappointed that it wasn't a hundred, it was only 70. And I was like, you know, you live in LA, you're from Australia, you threw a party in the biggest city in the world at one of its busiest weeks event wise none of your friends are in town none of your family live there and you were able to get 70 people to turn up to your event like that's that's incredible like when you think about it and so i think about like when you move state to state country to country you have to try to make new friends you have to try and make new connections like you don't have those same like trampolines that you have so i guess i hope that answers your question i don't have uh anything um super amazing right now just because i'm sort of in cave building mode i'm look, locking myself in my room and kind of doing the opposite of the life resume stuff but i i hope that helps well that's what i was gonna use as my as my transition uh first of all i think the endurance stuff is like key to surviving those periods of building and like endurance from a work perspective but it's the reason maybe you've not been filling out the right life resume is you're extremely mission oriented. You're going after something pretty ambitious. You're trying to bring super apps as a concept to the West. I'm gonna let you kind of introduce us to the concept of a super app, like what an analog is not in the West, and then talk about like why going after a big mission and Kyle's gonna add to the question as well. I love to okay. add to a question just to make it more complex. I, I think one thing that could, so easy could you also explain what WeChat is for a Chinese person? Can you just weave that in there at some Absolutely. point? Yeah, yeah, okay. for sure. Um, I think the concept of super app in the West, like it's it's starting to become like a bigger topic. Um, but I think we still have a limited idea as to what that actually means. So super app in the West, like is kind of like, oh, like a platform that's doing multiple things. So I don't know, Uber has driving and then now they've added on uber eats and then you can also rent a car okay it, it's kind of like to me it's kind of like iterating like we think of a super app as multi-functional whereas in china wechat's actually like multi-platform like wechat's like instagram youtube uh whatsapp and facebook kind of like rolled into one plus you can order uber and book hotels and order food and, and all this kind of stuff so it's still another level uh, compared to where we're at. Like, for example, when I was in New York just this week, I opened up Uber and I was like, oh, wow, like I can go to pick up and I can see all the restaurants around me and I can click on them and look at their menu. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. That's cool. But like, it's 2022. Like, I mean, that that shouldn't be an amazing 
feature set in a, in an application when you think about it like it's it's a it's i can see the restaurants around me in an app and click on them and look at the menus like it's it's pretty much as as simple as it gets but um to answer your question i think it would be good to sort of talk about how somebody would navigate their day um using wechat and look i want to just be clear like i'm not a wechat expert um i'm also not um uh, I'm inspired by WeChat, but not overly influenced by it. I think it's important. Like I'm inspired by how they think about their business model and, and how to sort of build an interesting product. But like the West also works different and the chat user is very different in the West to what they are in the East as well. So like, it's not about a, like a copy and paste. And I, I really, I just want to give you guys a perspective. Like I don't want to come across as like a WeChat expert because I'm not like in, in that sense, but I, I've used it. I understand it and, and, and all these kind of things. So like a good way to think about WeChat is like, say for example, you wake up in the morning, you get a job offer, you get that job offer on WeChat. Um, they want you to come meet them for coffee. Uh, they, they might send you like some money to your WeChat wallet so that you can, they don't need to give you a card. Like you can, they'll send you some money so you can order a taxi and get to, um, the, get to the interview. Um, so you, you would pay, then you'd order that taxi through your WeChat. You'd pay for that taxi on WeChat. You'd get to the interview. They'd probably send you, send you your offer on WeChat. Say you took a selfie in there and we're like, Hey, I just had this job interview. You could go and post that on WeChat moments or, um, or WeChat moments is kind of like their version of Facebook, I guess you would say, or maybe Instagram. Um, and then, you know, if you wanted to go and get lunch, you could or like pre-order your lunch through WeChat and then pay for your lunch on WeChat. Um, you know, and then you wanted to go and see your parents, you could book your train trip on WeChat, then message your parents and say that you're coming on WeChat and call them on WeChat. And so you, you're starting to get like an idea. It's, it's kind of a, um, a, a huge ecosystem. It's quite hard to conceptualize. It almost feels fake, but something that WeChat has done really well is they have these, this concept called like mini programs. And what it is, is it's kind of like little apps inside WeChat. So they don't build everything themselves. They have these like mini apps inside WeChat, but where the mini apps work really well is like apps that have like a long tail, which basically means like, think about, I guess if you have like Airbnb or booking.com or something like that, you have it on your phone, you have their app, but you probably use it like once every three months, right? In theory, you shouldn't really have apps for things that you use once every three months. That's, that's what like a mini app is for. Um, and then if you need a deeper experience, then like maybe like, because you could go on WeChat, go into booking.com's mini app and just book a hotel, right? Like it's, you don't need to have booking.com's app on your phone all the time. It's, it's just wasting space and memory and, and all these stuff, you know, you don't use it. And so I think that's where they've been really smart in, in that way. And a mini app, you don't need to download it. So like I can walk into KFC. I don't need to download KFC's app. I just open the mini app and I can order straight through WeChat. I don't need to download an app. I don't sign in and all like, think about like, you got to go on the app store. You got to search it up, you download it. Then you got to create an account. Then you make an order. Whereas on WeChat, I already have an account. I already have a wallet. So I just open the KFC mini app and I order my food. Like it's, I just have to search for KFC and I get started straight away. So I think that's where they've been intelligent in how they build stuff. So let's then get into the specifics, what you're trying to build with this app and you can introduce it however you'd like to, but where you're trying to build a super app, that's a term that 
I don't know anyone else who's trying to build a super app. It's like, what are you trying to do in your super app that makes it super, that's multifunctional, but not just in like a low hanging fruit, you know, we deliver food. So now we can deliver people. And so now we can like deliver pet yeah, care. And, I don't know. And like, look, I don't want to take anything away from Uber. I mean, it's an incredible business what they've achieved, but I just wanted to sort the main point that I wanted to make was like, there's a difference between a super app in how we talk about it in the West and, and the East. Like, a good and just to really reiterate what I was saying is like a super app is a multi-platform application, not a multi-functional application. I think is a good way to define. Like that's how I would try to define it if I was allowed to. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not in a position to be defining super apps, but I also want to sort of make it clear is like our goal wasn't. I didn't wake up and say, "Hey, I want to create a super app." Um, in that sense, it's it's just when I looked at WeChat, I was like, okay. What's cool is they feature facilitate revenue generation, right? So like WeChat sort of, the percentage of their revenue that's made up of ads is like 10 to 15%. Whereas Facebook, it's like 98.5%. Okay. So you can, you can sort of think about, and, and WeChat makes so much money per user. It's, it's like, I can't remember exactly what it is, but what they're making per user is like three times that of WhatsApp. Um, and, And the way they do it is they have, like they feature facilitate revenue. So you can make bookings and they make money on that. You can make payments. They make money on that. They've got games and stickers and like all these kind of things. So they make money by giving value to the user and the user pays for that value, right? Like in, in um, ads is a very small part of their business model. And Alan Zhang is kind of like the Steve Jobs of WeChat, I guess you would say. Um, and I'll answer your question about what we're doing. But I like the way he thinks about it in terms of like, he treats the user as if it's his friend. Right. And he says, like, how many ads would you send your friend a week? Maybe like three, maybe four. You might be like, hey, man, like I'm using this product. Hey, man, like check this out or whatever. But it's not five or six a day, you know, or 10 a day uh, in that sense. So I think it's a good way to sort of think about product. And I think it's intelligent. Um, where, Where we really started is like thinking about the problem with like chat applications. And so like I... Um, I've always loved startups and you guys would be around this ecosystem because you use all these tools, right? And it's, it's, it's very, you build these deep relationships and startups because you're kind of working on a project together, but it's almost easier to communicate with your work friends because of all the tools and efficiency that there is in, you know, the, the commercial world. Like I always use this analogy, like it's probably easier for us to organize this call with me being in a different time zone than it is for my mom to organize a call with me, uh, from Australia. Like that's, that's weird to me. Like somebody who wants to sell me like a, a different, you know, say a 401k provider can just like click the Calendly link in my email and organize time with me anytime. But my mom can't just click my face at the top of WhatsApp, see what time I'm like, what, like what time we're free and just like schedule a time with me. Um, and you know, what, what, when I started thinking about that, I was like, okay, like how do people communicate? How do they organize trips? How do we, how do we communicate socially? And so when you start to unpack that, what you start to realize is like the main issue with chat applications is that they're they're incredible when it comes to communication, but we all use chat to organize our lives, right? There's no organizational features. We organize events in chat. We organize trips in chat. We organize calls in chat. And, And so what happens is because it has no organizational functionality, it sort of locks users into this really inefficient sort of back and forth messaging world. 
And if you have friends in different countries, you'll be like, hey, man, when are you free? And then it takes you like two days to reply. And then they're like, oh, hey, when are you free? And then it takes like two days to reply. And then you're like, hey, when are you free? And like, it just like keeps going around like back and forth messaging. And there's no features to like, what if you want to line up a call with your sister in a different time zone, or you want to organize a trip to Europe with your friends, or you want to book concert tickets, or what if some users like want a bit more functionality, but others want to keep it simple? What if you want to split a bill? What if you want to pay someone in a different country? Like there's no way to turn chat into a practical platform if it's just back and forth. But I think like as soon as you open that doorway of organization, you open up like a world of revenue generating opportunities where you don't need to use ads. You can start to think like WeChat where you're like, hey, like what if we add value to the users and they pay us for that? Wow, that, that that's like a remarkable thing. Like that's how business works. Like in a way you, you pay when somebody gives you value. Um, and so just to end on that, like how we're thinking about our product is like, this app's like a chat and in its simplest form. Um, but you, we have three new tools that we're sort of focused on first. The one is a calendar. Um, and we want to be able to, in that calendar, we want to be able to organize anything from like a phone call to like a 30 day trip to Europe. Um, so our goal here is to sort of build a more intimate new age version of Facebook events. Like everyone uses WhatsApp and iMessage and stuff to organize their events these days. Um, but there's no features for that. So how can we, by building in a calendar and event tooling, we can fill that gap. Um, and then for the calendar aficionados, you'll be able to, you know, connect your Google calendar or your Outlook calendar and your events go straight out to there. So no more exchanging email addresses and, and all that kind of thing. Um, the next part would be a wallet. Um, learned that from like WeChat success. Uh, so, but the thing that we want to do with the wallet is not only can you pay each other, but I haven't seen a wallet to date that has like wallet functionality mixed with Splitwise. Like why, why can't you keep a tab with someone in a wallet? Um, it's really weird to me. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense that if you were keeping a tab with somebody, you're much more likely to pay them through that platform as well, because it gets to a point where that tab needs to be paid. Um, so the wallet will have tab functionality. We've also, will be exploring crypto payments and, and all of those kind of wonderful things. Um, and then the last but not least is like a booking environment. So you're organizing these trips, these events, all these kind of things. Um, we want to start off where you can book your hotels, you can book your um, concert tickets, you can book your restaurant um, and, and whatnot. So very much starting off experientially and trying to own that organization space. Um, we don't want chat to be like an acquisition tool. Like I don't want anyone to be like, hey, let's move from WhatsApp to this app because we want to move chats, right? Like chat is a sore point in the West. Everyone's tried WhatsApp to signal. No one wants to change a chat. If I said to you, move chats, you're like, no, I don't want to. But if I can get people to organize their trips or events on this app, if I say to you like, come to my ski trip, I've organized the thing on this app. It's a very different conversation. And then it's up to us to have the product so good that you're like, oh shit, we should just have this as our main chat because it's better. Like, and so we're much more using the organizational feature sets as our sort of acquisition tool. I think it's super interesting. One thing that I'm thinking a lot about is like the, uh, I, I haven't been, I've only been thinking about it while you've been talking, but like the constraints that are, are sort of like artificially placed on uh, me and also my groups of friends that we don't even realize are there because of the way through which we are communicating. Mm -hmm. Like if we had other options or, or a more advanced technology to facilitate our conversation, like 
it would, we, we would just use it. But instead it's like, we just text each other and oh, like now we can like messages and ha ha. And, and that's like finally kind of cool. So you use that a lot. And it's like, it's interesting how these things sort of play together, like socially, because you started talking about, um, like, remember when you used to email your friends, like before right. somebody <laughs> created chat, like in that sense, like it's, that wasn't that long ago. Like I remember being right. in high school and, you know, emailing people like, cause that's all you could do in, in a way. That's yeah. I don't remember emailing people. I was born <laughs> 2000. So I, I kind of missed that window. Uh, but just like, I, I, you know, you're thinking about it, like as an acquisition strategy that won't work because people hate changing chats. And it's yeah. sort of like the problem with any other competitor to Venmo or to cash app. It's like, well, everybody already uses that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, as, um, a chat app, I totally agree, but having these like new, uh, features where you're unconstrained or, or just have different constraints that allow you to do all these different things that you currently cannot do, I think is really exciting. And I, I think, uh, I think you hit the nail on the like, head with what you said about cash app though. Like, I think this is something that product people have to always remember. Like, it's not that people don't want to change. It's just that like, in order to gain their respect, you have to meet them where they already are. And mm -hmm. then you have the right to bring them on a journey, like in that sense. And so we can meet them where they are because nobody's feel like we can feel that space of organizing trips and all that kind of thing. Like if you think about like, if I'm organizing a snow trip or a bucks party or something like that, I'm looking for something to help me do that right? Like I need, I need something so I can meet that person where they are. But like what you were saying with cash up or Venmo, like would I tell someone to move and start using our wallet all of a sudden? Why should they? Like in that sense, it's like a, it's, it, that's something that I think it needs to be thought about quite deeply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to find a use case where you're uniquely valuable. And then, you know, all of those other things, those platforms you can build into it as you get users. Um, but it's like, I really like the mission, um, of, of not using it as uh, using it to create other things in the world that like mm -hmm. actually happen. I think that's a very cool, like, um, very positive. Cause that was one of my questions for you is like, why, why is this necessary? Why is this good? Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, when you say like, why is it necessary? Like, I think about like, how can we not care about the way that we communicate socially, right? Like if you think about the things that have moved humanity forward the most, it's been communication tools, right? Like when we first invented the telegram, then we invented the telephone, then we invented the internet. And like, you could even go as far as Bitcoin, right? Like m digital money is transferring information. Like that's what we're doing, like at a, at a, at a basic level. And I think getting value. Yeah. 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 But like, it's it's matter and bits like you you can transfer money through a chat these days like in that sense it's a it's like i i'm the information that i'm transferring is that i'm giving you ten dollars like in in a way um in in that capacity and since money's become more digital we can transfer it in such a fashion but like how can we not care about communication in the sense that it essentially defines our existence and it's not like chat is at the pinnacle of where it could be right like what's if i had to ask you guys like What's the most exciting feature you've seen in chat in the last like four years? I almost exclusively use iMessage, which is another thing I wanted to get into you about is this like regional distribution of chat apps and how 
the different features that you're able to have, like in China with WeChat, that gives the, the, the social groups so many more options that my friend group or my region with only iMessage don't have. And like when I was in Italy, everybody used WhatsApp. And like yeah. that's something that I, I know is so like normal to most people, but that's foreign to me. I really have, I didn't have WhatsApp on my phone until I went to Italy. Yeah. And like, uh, I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Like we only use iMessage. Everybody has an iPhone. Like that's just the yeah. way it works. And yeah. so we're constrained by Apple engineers ability to like create a chat app. Right. And so it's not only that, like, I think you've hit the nail on the head in, in an important point, but I'll, I'll sort of answer the question for you because you are an iMessage user. Everyone lost their shit, like, last month when Apple released Marked as, uh, Markers Unread, right? Like, w we have Markers Unread, and I've got, like, <laughs> one, <laughs> like, I've been around for, like, one year, and, you know, I have one... I don't even know the word one trillionth of their resources, <laughs> like in that sense, um, in, in, in that sense. But uh, like the other thing we have to remember is like WeChat, that's their company. They build chat, right? Apple doesn't really care about iMessage that much. Like they kind of do, but that's, that's not where they make their money. Like they they make money on hardware and payments and Apple TV and like all these kind of things. And, you know, uh, when I was watching the recent WWDC conference, like, I also think that Apple's calendar, like the iCalendar, I don't understand why anybody in the world uses it. It's like the worst calendar that's ever existed. And like they, there was no update to the calendar in the most recent update. It's, it's just not something that Apple cares about. Um, and it's, but they don't have to as well because they, like, you know, they're already doing things that are hard. Building MacBooks is hard. Making iPhones is really hard, like in, in that sense. And so, it's, I'm not here to rag on Apple. I'm I'm sitting here talking to you guys on my MacBook Pro with my iPhone next to me and all They're those hot. kind of things. So, but awesome. what you touched on, Kyle, is important uh, because what one thing that's weird about America is you guys are kind of like one of the only countries left that actually uses iMessage. Um, I've I've traveled quite a bit, and you know everyone. And and the interesting thing is with Americans is. Americans travel a lot more domestically than, than most countries. Um, uh, you know, I, it, it always astounds me when I speak to, uh, speak to Americans and a lot of them have never traveled internationally and how many people in this country don't have a passport is just mind boggling to me. Like I heard this statistic, I don't know if it's true, but apparently at any given time, there's more Australians in the air per capita than any other country in the world. Um, in, in that sense. And, what happens is you have friends around the world. So you need WhatsApp in order to be able to like communicate with them. And like what a lot of people don't realize is everyone in the Western world thinks that everyone has iPhones, but globally 75% of the world that has a phone have Androids, right? In that sense. So if you start to expand out like iPhones, not uh, iMessage isn't really friendly with Android. In fact, they're exclusive. We were talking about NFTs earlier. You get in the green bubble club and like you're, <laughs> you're like an outcast because you have an Android in that sense. But that's that is a limit. That's limiting Americans. Like is Absolutely. the, is the thing, right? Because like WhatsApp is functionally better than uh, iMessage, and so like I think that's kind of why America is primed for like a a chat app that uh, has is all has all these functionalities, kind of uniquely to mm -hmm. most other countries. Even though, like you know, it's an advanced country, it's like 
we're not at advanced with but you know what's weird to me like you guys still message using your phone number like i was like it, it's so bizarre to me like the the platform that i have the most junk messages on is iMessage. Somehow someone got my number and like I get all these like telecom messages and, and like my iMessage is almost like my borderline spam folder. Like in that sense, it's just full of junk in, um, in that sense. But um, yeah. I was going to ask you, you said that WhatsApp's heaps more functional than iMessage and you're a new WhatsApp user. Did you find WhatsApp better than iMessage? Because like I've found that Americans kind of really like iMessage for some reason. Like what was your experience using that? Yeah, I actually have a really funny answer to this. Um, so uh, I didn't know like what my um, my carrier was going to be w once I got uh, abroad. Like I was concerned that like I wasn't gonna be able to use iMessage because I wasn't sure if I had the data right and blah blah blah. <laughs> uh, it turns out as soon as I land, it sends me a text message and it's like, "Do you want to spend? Do you want to pay twenty dollars for unlimited LTE?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." But so before I left, I had my girlfriend download WhatsApp. Uh, and I downloaded it too and like made it is kind of a fun little thing. Right. And, uh, we were communicating, we communicated with WhatsApp the entire time that I was gone, even though I had iMessage and it was clear to us both that we could iMessage. We just used WhatsApp cause it was like kind of novel. Um, and so I played around a lot with the features and obviously, you know, it's like a network game almost like the more people you have, the more useful it is. And I was only texting one person. Um, so I didn't get to like see all of the functionality but like I changed the background and that was super cool. And I sent voice messages. I mean, that's that stuff. But like is think broken. about what you're saying, right? Like it's your, I, I'm it, literally it's like telling you the truth when you can think about right? it. Yeah, I'm like telling you the truth though. Like the, I don't ever use the voice message, uh, part of iMessage cause it's like broken. It just doesn't really work that well for me. Um, maybe it's cause I'm not the best <laughs> at it, but whatever. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was great. And I, I think can I ask you something. Why didn't you use Facebook Messenger? Like you would, you, wouldn't you already have Facebook? That's Messenger? another uh, regionally. Like you guys could have just no one uses through Facebook Instagram Messenger. if you wanted to. No. Like you didn't even need to download another app. Which that's is not a thing that, that we do. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I. It's it's interesting that you said different types of how people message on different platforms, and that the reason I was asking you this is like in Australia, Facebook Messenger is quite big. Where where some of the bigger Facebook Messenger users. Um, what WhatsApp's actually not the greatest platform feature-wise either. Mm -hmm. What WhatsApp is the best in the world at and where it's underestimated is WhatsApp is purpose-built for low bandwidth, low socioeconomic countries. So it's built for really cheap iPhones in countries that have bad internet quality in that sense so that people communicate. And that is what they want to be the best in the world at. Like what WhatsApp's mm -hmm. proud of is like, when India and Brazil have had earthquakes and shit, like everyone has been able to use WhatsApp to communicate and, and all that kind of stuff. Like they're purpose built for these sort of lower socioeconomic demographics. Um, and they fill that role and they do an incredible job of it, but they have to keep their application simple for that reason. We're not trying to target those markets. You know, we like you're going to need a more high powered phone if you're going to use a platform like ours. Like we are much more building something for the Western higher socioeconomic demographic because we have the the processing power to use applications like this. And um, I think the other problem that the West has faced is we've become obsessed with end-to-end -end encryption. Um, and, and I think about this a lot. Like, I think I do believe that privacy is important. Like it, I agree in, in that sense, but the thing you have to realize is whenever you want to have end-to-end -end encryption, like the further, the more encrypted you become, 
the worse the user experience is going to be. Okay, so say you want to have audio transcription, like where you record an audio message and it, it writes out the text for you so you could read the audio message. You can't have that with end-to-end -end encryption. Uh, you like They're starting to find technologies where you can, but originally you couldn't have that because the company couldn't read the message to be able to transcribe it for you. Or say you wanted to translate a message because you're in a different country or whatever it may be. When things are encrypted, you get limited. So that's something we also need to think about in, in the West is like, how do we find this bridge, this gap of maybe you have like a, uh, what Telegram does this, they have like a secret chat where you can have a side chat that's end-to-end -end encrypted that might have less feature sets. But if I wanted to talk about something private, I talk about it in there. But we have our main chat in a different chat where we have booking functionality and we have audio transcription and, you know, we're not talking about private things so we can, like, have a better user experience. But we also have this private space where we can have a private conversation should should we need to have that. I don't know. You and, you and Kyle have just been... All on the all on the chat debate, and I, I just turn this into a no, customer interview. But... I think it's been I think it's been interesting. Um, I'm curious what near term you compete not on the features I guess we were just talking about, like the chat itself being the core feature, but on like getting people attracted because there's some other essential feature that brings them into the ecosystem. Then, for some to some extent, chat is chat if it's functional, and then yeah. in a real sense, not yeah. in just uh, so how you, you're saying if like we how offer are this thinking about growing yes, and where are you starting? Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we we won't we're not releasing until August. Um, one we want to test in like a dense cluster of like activation is a sort of how to think about it. Like, a, have you read Paul Graham's Things That Don't Scale? Yes. It's a really really good article. If if anyone hasn't read it, um, you kind of your foot. <laughs> he's he's known for that. But in the beginning, you kind of want to recruit your users yourself and then over delight them and then you sort of. Uh, like the Airbnb guys went around and took photos of people's houses themselves and, and, and whatnot. Um, we want to start in two places. One place I'm quite interested in as a dense cluster of activation is Burning Man camps. I know that sounds really... I've um, burned. It, it really, you have burned, did you uh -huh. say? Oh, cool. Um, but there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of organization that goes into these camps. Um, and uh, when you look at how many platforms they use, they're using Google Docs, Spreadsheets, Google calendars, calendars, slacks, WhatsApps, emails, like all this kind of stuff. And so there's a lot of organizational functionality that these communities need. Um, I think the thing that's underestimated about Burning Man camps is like, it's not just the two weeks on the playa. You have a whole year of where they ha they do events together. They go on ski trips together. They go camping together. They throw parties together and all these sort of things. So you've got a very active community of people who are like organizing and doing things together. Um, so uh, we have a, uh, a couple of my friends across different camps. So we like penetrating camps would be a good place for us to start. Um, and then the other place where we, we want to start as well is like freelance travel uh, agents, like in that sense, like people who organize other people's trips and travel, like being their, their software so they can create a chat for you and organize everything for you in this app. And then you use this app on your trip and, and, and whatnot. So those are two sort of verticals that we're going to, we're going to approach. Um, one other piece that I want to do is really put out a lot of content and thought about chat, kind of like what we're doing today and having podcasts and stuff like that. Like if I asked you guys, who's the CEO of WhatsApp or who's the CEO of Signal or who's the CEO of Telegram, you probably couldn't answer any of those questions. Um, Mark Zuckerberg. 
Well, Zuckerberg's not the CEO of WhatsApp. He's the CEO of Meta. I definitely looked at all of their Twitter profiles. Yeah. But like, it's you have to go out of your way. If I asked you who's the CEO of Amazon, who's the CEO of Tesla, you know, you could answer that two seconds, right? And it's not about like an ego perspective, but that's weird to me given that WhatsApp, for example, has 2 billion users. Like it has the oh, most users basically on the planet. And you can't, could you tell me who the founder is? You question myself out here. No, that's Telegram. But, uh, oh, no, no. WhatsApp is the Israeli guy. Sorry, Telegram's the the Russian um, founder. Yeah, you're right. Um, South African guy. <laughs> but yeah, you, get, you, you see my point there, right? Like, you're like Israeli guy. If I said, who's the founder of Tesla? You'd be like, Elon Musk, boom. Like, and... I, I, I guess, can you draw like a... A clear line to me to like why it's important to know like can you like finish the thought of why knowing who the founder is yeah yeah, yeah, okay, yeah okay, okay. Was, that's where i was about to go to yeah so it's not so much about for me on an ego perspective like wanting to be the ceo of that like even if it's a team like who's the team that did whatever like it creates trust right like i'll get in a self-driving car because i know elon built it and i know who elon is and i hear him talking about it and like all these kind of things I think a lot of this focus and distrust on chats and focused on end-to-end -end encryption is because no one knows who's running these companies. It's like the person who runs Telegram is this kind of Russian guy and the whole team's in Saudi Arabia and, you know, you've no one really is... People have trust issues with Meta, but they don't actually know who runs WhatsApp. And, like, that. That's that, I think that's a big issue in chat is, like, there's no... It's, it's not inspiring. There's no voice talking about it. Like, like... Who, who tell me who the um ceo of ford is or the ceo of mercedes-benz or something like that like elon's become the voice of the future of like automation and uh sorry automotives like cars and, and stuff like that not automation of automation as well when it comes to warehousing and stuff he's he's done that too but like he's made he's made the concept inspiring and interesting that you want to be engaged in the product and you trust him because he talks about it and he does it. <laughs> and then if all of a sudden there were, started to be all these car crashes and self-driving vehicles were having all these accidents, like everybody can like point at Elon and be like, hey, Elon, what's going on? And then he has to, he's held accountable for that. And I, I just think that that's undervalued. And I know it's a step away from the growth side of it, but we've got those two growth clusters. But I also really want to focus on building a brand and talking about chat and talking about communication and how to think about these things. Uh, uh, as Kyle was saying, like we can get lost in our own nests thinking that the whole world uses WhatsApps and like phone numbers. They don't like, it's actually <laughs> a very small group of people that do that, like in that sense. And like how we communicate globally is incredibly important. Um, like in that way. And, iMessage isn't the best way to communicate globally because it re relies on phone numbers and not everybody might have a phone number and, and like, but like WhatsApp is completely decentralized. Uh, sorry, not WhatsApp, like Facebook's probably, Facebook Messenger is probably one of the most decentralized ones. Like you don't even need a phone number to have a Facebook Messenger account. Um, that's sort of a, like we've used email to, for our sign up mechanism. Like that's a limiting factor of WhatsApp and Telegram and these kind of platforms. You have to have a phone number to, use one of these platforms like i don't know what if your phone's dead or you can't get a phone number or you're traveling or, or whatever it is and it's, it's a limiting aspect so i think we just need to start thinking about these things and talking about them and um that's that's kind of why i made that point if if that makes sense that means like software and productivity 
and like communication software, like the kind of YouTube that's like Slack versus this, Slack versus Teams and like efficiency software. Cause I feel like that's another, like these are the people who care for these types of conversations, like at the level they're at in sophistication today. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, have you gotten to that, the circles at all? Not yet, um, but we definitely do plan to. Um, like you're absolutely right. It's kind of like also you're like product hunter type of person. Very similar, like people very looking similar. For these. Yeah, um, we're just not ready for them to test it and play with it in that sense. So we're aiming to be ready by August. Like we've got the chat working and I use this app as my primary chat. But like if you think about it, like our chat and then all of our planning features and then our wallet, they're three different apps. So yep. <laughs> we're like, we, we had like chat is one thing and it's taken WhatsApp 10 years just to, get to the state where they are with WhatsApp. So you can kind of imagine the complexity of building all three verticals. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's a... Yeah, Scott had asked me to, to ask about that directly. Scott from Espresso. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out Scott with the, uh, with the audience question here. But he said like, how do you think about launching? Like when you, like your stated vision is multi-purpose. Yeah. I don't want to use the term multi-purpose incorrectly. I think we just like made a distinction earlier that the term is not multi-purpose, but something that does more than one thing. And so how do you like gauge launching? Cause you know, with the podcast, for example, like one episode you release it there, there's like businesses that you can, you don't really bootstrap, right. Or like you bootstrap a minimal viable feature mm-hmm. set, but you've like said your purpose is that it is not like limited. Yeah. So how do you like play yeah. that balance? It's, it's definitely the one thing that keeps every consumer founder app up at night in that sense. I don't like the idea of like, the show show stopping launch like i think you should think intelligently about like uh compounding campaigns and growing uh in that capacity you also don't want a million users on day one like you need to build stability you need to learn from your users you need to grow over time and you know we ran the elon musk campaign recently i'm not sure if you've seen that and it did pretty well on tiktok we've got close to ten thousand signups from that just in a, over a week um so that was like a good and i mean we paid like 30 like it was such a good cost per acquisition. We put a little bit of ad spend behind it and it was costing us like 30 cents per sign up and, and whatever. And like, it, it worked out really, really well for us. Um, so we're like, okay, cool. Like content's gonna work. Let's 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 start creating a, a bit more content on TikTok to get those things out. Um, we will be doing a product hunt launch uh, as well in August. Um, so you get those productivity um, minded people like what you were saying and then start to approach those YouTube channels. And you're just like layering and layering and layering. Um, and then, you know, getting the Burning Man camps involved, getting these freelance travel agents involved and you're, but you got to think about like the cool thing with us is like, we have a very unique viral coefficient, like our viral coefficient's much like closer to and a viral coefficient for anyone who doesn't know is like how many for every user that you gain, how many users do they bring, right? Like if you have a viral coefficient of one, one person brings one person, right? Um, whereas, uh, and as soon as you can get a quite a high viral coefficient, it starts to like the loop starts to take care of its itself in some capacity. What's cool about events and trips is like people are inviting each other in groups, like it's groups of four or five or six or seven or eight people. And so I like Eventbrite has this concept of like supply side demand. So you can grow at the product level as well. So how many like the goal is to get as many people attending an event to create an event of their own as well, because then they're bringing in another four or five people and, and, and whatnot. So it's definitely going to layer. Um, but then like, you know, we want to do other campaigns where we've already made a partnership with Priceline, but, you know, do competitions where we have, we basically 
give away free free hotels and and free concerts and 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 these kind of things that people can people can gain um and then i like running events of our own i've always admired what sweet green did like when sweet green launched they had their own like headline festival called sweet life um you know you can do epic things like that and throw a festival users have to buy tickets through this app and like all, all those kind of things. So there's a number of really interesting things that we can do, but I also don't want to get too premature about growth because like we've already got 10,000 people in the wait list. We've got these other strategies. We need to execute those first, learn, um, and then grow. And, you know, we might even be lucky enough that you do those things and then the viral coefficient just kicks off and you, you start accelerating in growth. That's sort of, there goes the light again. Um, that's, that's best case scenario. Um, but at the same time, you never want to rely on, on those kind of things as well. So I think it's about having a multi strategy, uh, but I don't like having like that. If you think about like a movie premiere, you build a movie for like two years and then you just hope that everyone likes it. That's, that's not the approach that we're taking. Um, but then, you know, we can also talk about user ownership. Like we've thought about like, how do we like create a user owned platform? Um, and I, I like the idea of tokens as a growth mechanism, which we could talk about separately. That's a whole can of worms on its own. Yeah, it is. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll leave that there. Yeah, I had a bunch of thoughts. I think um, one thing that could be ironically interesting would be to host like host and organize like brick parties where like everyone turns their phone off, and then like you know do you know do you know what a brick party is? Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Or like yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like. Okay, after this, anybody you meet, you only talk to them on this app. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> in order to organize other events. But I, I also think that it's a really good like group of people to target because when you're traveling, you're meeting people and like it, it's not just the four people that you're like going with, it's all the people that you meet that are also traveling together. And like let's hope yeah. that, you know, five a group of five runs into a group of five and they're also using this app. And that turns into 25 people. And so it's like, I think you're really onto something. Um, but Lewis and, is absolutely right when he was talking about like, you need to get those aficionados that are looking for, like why I think we'll do really well on Product Hunt is we have like availability features and event features that connect to your calendar. And like, there's a lot of like productivity elements to the platform, like consumer-based productivity. So I, I definitely agree with you that though it will be very well accommodated in those circles as well. Yeah, I have the opposite question for you. You sure. mentioned this word twice now, consumer. You said when you're launching yeah. a consumer product and when you have these consumer, whatever those the word that you just followed consumer with, do you have ambitions, interests in businesses finding this useful if it is just a really intelligent coordination tool? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, I mean, long term, I'd love to be able to book anything on this app. Like if you say you can book hotels and tickets and all these things, as I mentioned, but like, what if you could book your haircut or your nail appointment or like anything that like, if you think about Amazon does everything, ex you can do buy anything on Amazon except bookings. Like you, you can't really book things on Amazon. And so there's no real Amazon for bookings. Uh, so I do sort of see a world where once we've sort of built up the consumer once you've got the users the businesses will come as well like in in that capacity yeah I, like just like instagram in that fashion i have two follow-up questions there uh so the first one is i meant like in like a slack type microsoft teams type like outlook ah, it, okay like like corporate not like integrating businesses i don't think so no i think the reason i wouldn't do that is i don't think people really want 
their work chat and their personal chat crossing over. Like in that sense, it feels like you actually never leave work. I don't know if like if I could have my Slack messages in the same places like my WhatsApp. I don't. I don't think I would want that. Well, like you're copying sense... and pasting memes from one chat to another. Like you have to be very careful. <laughs> yeah. If that makes absolutely. sense. Absolutely, absolutely. It's so. it's very true. Like I don't. No, I I think it would create the wrong culture personally. Um, but could businesses use it like they use Instagram? Absolutely. It could be like a separate server, maybe like an like an intranet, like a, a this app intranet. Yeah, I mean, we we probably could do it. I'm not thinking about it at the moment because our roadmap is already ridiculously huge. <laughs> um, in, <Yeah>. that, <laughs> Fair in, in that sense, so um, but you know, never say never. I guess the word would be. Yeah, the that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, you've definitely outlined uh, a daunting list to execute on, so I don't mean to be adding to it. But one on the previous question about like booking services, my sister has been talking nonstop. She lives in LA about this thing that's catching on in LA where it's like people will come to your house and give you a massage. So you don't need to like, you know, people come to your house and yeah. give you a car wash. Yeah. So it's like an at-home massage. That could be like an interesting growth partnership strategy. 100%. If there's like some like esoteric new at-home service to like offer that whole service, some incentive or like a partnership or an integration where like you book your masseuse through the, this app. Yeah, I don't know. No, you're absolutely idea. right. Like, I've never heard like, of massage, and now she's just going off about it. Maybe we, you know about it because you've lived in LA. Uh, I my girlfriend actually used one of these um, in Australia, so it's 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 pretty big thing. But if we circle all the way back around to right right at the start when I was talking about mini apps, that's one example. One of those like long form yeah, yeah, applications yeah. that you don't really need, but it would be epic for that business to not have to worry about building an app, and we could give them an, an enormous uh, volume of traffic. And the user doesn't have to download an app. They can be like, hey, I feel like a massage. Search up massage book. They don't need to download that app, sign into that app, and and, and they're, they're like restricted to that ecosystem. So that's a or perfect lawn care. What's up? We, we, lawn care. We just did an episode a few weeks ago with this guy. If you've heard of My Green Pal, it's like the largest on-demand lawn care service for the country. Yeah. We just had the founder on a few days ago. So that would be like another mini app use case. Exactly, exactly. But there are some things where we wouldn't be able to fill the gap like, one of our investors created a company called High Pages, which is like where you book tradesmen and stuff. There's there's certain industries that require like specialty platforms because it's like a like more complex operation. But you know, but it, it's crazy. I got a blood test at my house the other day. I was using Inside Tracker, and the nurse came to my house and took my blood on my you know dining table and just took six vials of blood at my house. I was like, wow, okay, this is interesting. We're, we're living in 2022. I don't even need to go to the doctor anymore. This is amazing. Um, in, in that sense. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting in that capacity as well. What do you think it is about your background that has led you? Cause like you have a very interesting story, obviously McDonald's banking, taking like this radical left turn crypto in 2015. Like, what do you think it is about this app that gets you excited? And what is it from your past that has led to this? Do you think? And I know, obviously, like everything leads to who you are, but <laughs> I think you get the essence of the question. Um, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. Like, I mean, I've always uh, I've lived abroad for a really long time and have always needed to communicate internationally and like organize calls in different time zones and, you know, travel to other countries and organize different people. And when I've I've ran advisory roles and then went into a startup as like a chief operating officer and now like I'm a COO like I'm a 
uh sorry ceo i'm like my sort of superpower is like i'm incredibly operationally savvy i guess you would say um and so i've also seen as i said at the start like i've seen a lot of the epic tools that you get to use in a startup like i run a remote team like it's almost easier to run a company with like a hundred thousand dollar a month burn rate with you know 12 team members in different countries and and build a ridiculous startup than it is to just like organize a weekend away with my friends and get like 150 dollars off each of them like in that sense and so it's just like a just taking those lessons of like operations and organizations and and team and product management and consumerizing that and that's actually harder said than done because you have to try to make it seem cool right like in that sense and what was so brilliant about Instagram and, and people who created the concept of content capturing, like photography used to be someone's job. Like if you think about it, it was like a profession and you had the friend in your group that had a camera and the, the person who could edit and stuff like that. Whereas now with iPhones and Instagram, like photography is a culture, like capturing content is a culture. It's not a job anymore. I think that organization will become a culture, like how we like, organize events and share times with each other and all that sort of stuff it won't be one if you think about in the group there's usually one or two people that do all the organization it will slowly become a culture and scott and i speaking of scotty um scott and i were having this conversation just two days ago he was like you know um i still think it's okay to call people out of the blue i don't like in in this modern day because it takes two seconds right to, to text someone and say, how hey, are you free? Okay, someone calls me, I assume it's an emergency. I'm like, you must need, for you to not text me and ask if I was okay, you must absolutely need me right now. Okay, so like, I'll answer. But the problem is, if you call me out of the blue, I'm not present with you. I'm like deep in work. I'm like thinking about something else. And, and I've got to try to unwind and I'm not paying any attention to you. As soon as I realize it's not an emergency, I'm kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever. But like, if for this call that we had, I worked all day and then, I, and then, you know, I see in my calendar, Lewis and Kyle, I close my laptop, I shift my brain. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have a present conversation with you guys right now. You think about that with your friends and your mom and like all these kind of things. If you knew you had a call with Scott this afternoon, you're like, oh fuck, like what are all the things I need to talk to Scott about? And like, you think about the conversation you're about to have with Scott and you're much more likely to have a better conversation with you than if he just calls you and you're like, I don't know, in the middle of the city with your AirPods on and there's like heaps of noise and like you're trying to like catch the bus and order your coffee and like all this kind of stuff. It, it takes the depth out of relationships. Um, and so like, I just think like it, it used to be okay. And, and people are like, oh, but we've always just called each other, right? Like it used to be okay that you knew everyone in your neighborhood and you could just like walk into your neighbor's house. That's, you don't just walk into your neighbor's house anymore. That's not okay. Just text them and say, hey, like I'm coming over. Like in that sense, because we can, we have these technologies where it costs nothing to offer a little bit of courtesy uh, in that sense. So that's where I think these organizational mindsets come in of like, how can we like organize a call where it's like suits us both and we can have a great conversation and, and all these kind of things as well. Yeah. Have you read A World Without Email by Cal Newport? I haven't, but I've heard amazing things. It's a book I definitely need to read. Yeah, I haven't read it either, but I've also heard amazing things. But <laughs> kind of like the, the whole, uh, the whole, <laughs> um, the I've studied like I've listened to a lot of podcasts about it. I've like read yeah. a lot of Cal, every other book Cal's written, with one exception. And um, 
I just think that like zooming out from just like some very general media studies, technology studies, kind of like human computer interaction questions of, I think we're overall very much in the phase of obviously with like certain use cases being exceptions to the rule and certain use cases proving the rule of technology having obviously just like disrupted all social norms for coordinating social activities. And there's some circumstances where it's gotten dramatically worse in like obvious ways, right? Like the fact of like, you know, there's something to the fact of like a cadence of letters, right? would mean that like you processed mail and you processed communications in one session per day. Mm-hmm. Right, like that was like a natural limit imposed by the the medium. That, for example, like what you're suggesting of the like, hey, I'm gonna text someone before I come over to their house. What's implicit in that is that someone checks their phone constantly, right? Like, there's sure. not like a but, there's I mean, well, a sort sound, of right, right? Like, notification based, notification yeah. based. There's like a polling mechanism, but it's like this is an always available method of reaching someone. Whereas like a front door is like only reachable by people who like come to the front door. Yeah, and I'm not saying like anyone's right or wrong. I'm just no, saying I like the way you're thinking about like it. if you read if, if you read any fiction, like I read a um, it's called Norwegian Wood by Haruki Murakami, if I can get the last name right. And this is just like a book about a dude living in Tokyo in like the 80s. And just studying his social coordination, like in a pre-cell phone environment entirely, there's like a lot of pros and cons to everything. Um, One point I've been trying to make or wanted to make throughout this podcast is group coordination of an event with like people in your same city. What you probably would do is like it wouldn't cross your mind to try to coordinate that in a distributed way. You'd be like, all right, we're going to all go to the pub on Friday, eat pizzas and knock this shit out. Yeah. Like or someone would just hire a professional like we think that we can accomplish more because of like the distributed mechanism. And it's like in many ways been a setback because it's like now we can don't have to come home and we can just send 40 characters at a time to each other and try to like build it from the ground up that way. And what we've all described to each other is that's essentially impossible. Whereas in the past, if you didn't think you had an option to do it on your own, like you would just show up in a group and get it done and then it would be done. And then you'd all distribute. I just think like the world, I a hundred percent agree with you, but the world's so different now. Like, you know, people work remotely some people work night shifts like some people work nine to five and like you know it's like just going to the pub on a friday night like it's like a it's so much easier said than done like in that in that capacity uh these days and so i think that we've like evolved in 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 how we we operate and i think it's very easy to romanticize um these like simpler forms of communication, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's better, right? Like it's just that we have to build, we have to build a relationship and a discipline with like how we how we communicate uh, in, in that sense. And so, I, I just like I am cautious of you know. I'll give you an example. Like my girlfriend is living remotely in France right now. Okay, and like. It sucks, but like I always think about like how lucky we are that I can just FaceTime her every day and it's not a commercial decision. Like in that sense, like, you know, mate, you'd be like, oh, babe, like I'll call you once a week and, you know, the international call costs like $100 and like whatever. And like I can FaceTime her like five times a day if I want to and we can talk, you know, in real time. There's no lag. I can see her. She can like call me from anywhere. It's free. Like all that kind of stuff. Like, these sort of things are remarkable, right? But like, is it good for us to be on our phones all the time? No. And I'll I'll loop back around to WeChat because WeChat actually thinks about product differently to how we think about it in the West. WeChat focuses on, and I think this is cool about WeChat, they focus on being a tool, right? So their goal is that you 
get on the app and you use the app and you get off it, right? And so it's like, because they don't make money from you staring at the app in that sense, they, they make money from you doing something on the app and it being useful. So for example, WeChat doesn't have typing indicators. It doesn't have sent and read receipts and all these things for the very reason that you're saying, because like Alan Zhang's perspective is like, you don't need to know if someone's read your message. You'll get a notification when they reply to you. Like in that sense, it's like a, instead of sitting there and staring at the typing bubble, when somebody just typed in a, and they're not even replying, they just accidentally wrote something and closed their app and you're just like staring at it, waiting for them to respond and your like anxieties raising and, and all these sort of things. So it's not so much just the products, it's like you've got to think about the features and how they impact people's mental health and stuff. Like, you know, it, it it's it's interesting how and many culture and there. society as a whole. Exactly, exactly. So I, I it's it's easy to blame technology, but I think it's like it's and I know that's not what you were doing, Lewis, in that sense, but I think it's our relationship with dopamine and how we use yeah, these tools. I, I was going to come to the point of like the changes are more profound than we're giving them credit for. Yeah. And kind of come to the conclusion that's like, not that we shouldn't be as hard on ourselves about like really struggling with it. It's like, we should definitely have some empathy for ourselves for like struggling to just, I, I just think most people don't appreciate because you know, our lifespan are so long. And again, Kyle and I, where we fall into like the generational timeline, like we didn't experience both. It's like being born in the years we were born and we don't appreciate the scale to which things change dramatically. Mm -hmm. So I think like we were kind of born and just always assume coordination was just this like weird thing that's difficult because of like, these are the tools we have to do it. We're just like, we're born in a period where there's no clear way of doing it. You know what I mean? Whereas like if we were born in a way, if we were born like 80 years ago and there was a way of getting things done and then everyone's like, like there's no fallback. Like what we were taught, we like what we were handed was already incomplete just like because of where we landed in, in this, in the spot and just like the scope of our lifetime relative to the scale of the transformation and like all of the rippling effects of it. Yeah. I think it's like a, it's an interesting thing. Like if you think about when we went from like Neanderthals, I know this is going to sound like a weird merge, but we went from like Neanderthals to homo sapiens. I was listening to Grimes talk to Lex Friedman recently and she was talking about how we're becoming homo technos like in that sense and like if you like I always say like um you can almost be in a time machine based on how you operate in the world like you know that quote where it's like the future's already here it's just not evenly distributed like you know you can go and talk to your grandma and she's like living in 1997 and you know if you're like a bitcoin person you're living in like 2039 like in that sense, like, and, and you have all these different people almost living in like different paradigms. And like when you're a homo techno, it, it's when you talk to somebody who doesn't understand like crypto or someone who doesn't even use the internet, it's almost like talking to like a, like a, like a stupider species than you, like in, in a weird way. Like it's like a, it's like, I would use the term different, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> but, but they like, and what I know it sounds really bad, but like it's someone who can't use the internet or doesn't understand these kind of things, like they seem really like slow. Like when you think about it, because the internet's so fast. But if you think about your generation, the way your like brain works is so quick, like in that sense. And we're, we're going to see an evolution in humans based, like I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. If we're going to make like an, an automotive analogy, I think it's like, I think the speed did not come with handling at the same level that of the speed. So I think like <laughs> yes. the, yes, yes, for sure. But I'm just saying like, I think that something is always lost with what is gained mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely. It's like the person who, who's like slower is cause I think there's like a 
representative lack of anxiety, right? Like I, I correlate the speed with an anxiety of like a need to be quick. Whereas the other person, again, there's like a comfort with your own thoughts. There's like a ability to hold the air and like let there be a pause and like there's no expectation of an immediate reply. They can just slow down and come to their words and... I don't know. I just see. I, you, you raise an interesting point about anxiety. Uh, Elon Musk posted this funny photo, and I've got it literally as my phone background. And it's like this guy who's like kind of beaten up with like red eyes, and then it's like Jesus, and he's like, "Am I being tested again? Is this one of your hardest battles?" And he's talking to Jesus, and then Jesus is like, "You literally just need to put your phone down and go outside." Um, and yep. I think there's a lot of truth. To it. <laughs> um, I have it as my like. I think phone that's background. right. I, I think I, I think there's a lot of truth to it, and I have this perspective about anxiety and depression i know there's like a mental health sort of version of anxiety and depression but what most people talk about in terms of anxiety and depression i think is like very often times an energy imbalance you either have too much energy or too little energy for a particular situation like if i find myself like say i'm getting on an important investor call and i'm like edgy or like worried about it i'll go for a run before the call and then i come back and like i had too much energy like leading into that situation and I think most people, because like people aren't getting outside and exercising and all these kind of things, you have too much energy to be sitting there waiting for a text. I know that sounds really weird, but like, that I think that's like undervalued sense. in that sense. It's, you need to manage, do I have too much or too little energy for this situation? Like if you're sitting there waiting for that girl to reply, go for a run. And I guarantee you when you get back, you won't really care. Like in that sense, it, it, your, your body shifts your mind, that's like nice. in that capacity. Yeah. One more point I want to circle back and make kind of on the same subject of like, you know, we're talking about anxiety and you bring a point about like an Elon Musk meme you saw the other day, just in terms of like the, the people caught at different moments in time. I think one thing that has been the transformation, a trend that I don't think is a good thing. Well, it has benefits, right? I think I'm not going to make a judgment about on the whole, whether it's good or bad, Yeah. but the percent, the age of the content you're consuming so if you're spending all day on Twitter, essentially everything you're reading was content produced today, mm-hmm. right? If you read, if you're someone in the middle, right? You're someone who doesn't have social media. This is someone I was for many years, right? No social media, but I read like 50 newsletters a week. So it's like everything I read was like thoughtful on the scale of seven days, right? Mm-hmm. Then you go to your grandma who lived in 1997. She maybe got like the Economists, their Time Magazine's like monthly issue and mostly read books. And it's like everything she consumed was on the scale of, someone took two years to write this not and i think like that's a trend that like is worth noticing in terms of like also describing the difference in like psychological state like approach to thinking and i think podcasts fall somewhere in the middle right this is something that took us an hour to create uh but obviously more than that in terms of like everyone coming to this with all the the life experience coming into it and like the questions that you've asking you about things that you've spent decades like dozens of hours thinking about but i think that's just worth not that's something that we should not innovate without paying attention to. I think what you said is incredibly important, right? Like, but I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a, I think the bigger problem is the polarity and how everybody's trying to be an expert rather than like approaching these things curiously. Um, I, I, I heard um, uh, Ido Patel talking about this and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Like he was like, what, when you when you whenever you define something right like you sort of become attached to it and i think this is like the problem with the learning curve like people think that as soon as they've learned something right they they know it and they've all of a sudden become an expert and they get attached to that opinion of that thing 
Whereas I think what he was saying is like, what's really good to do is like write things down, geek on them and let it go. But he said something that blew my mind. And I feel like you'll love this, Lewis. Forgetting is not the same as never knowing. Right. And and I, I think that's so important. Like we should just be able to read tweets and read blogs and just, just go, that was interesting. And just like discard it. Right. And if it is important, it will come up and you will remember what was important in that thing and, and whatever. But like so many of us are like trying to chew through this content so that we can become an expert and tell everyone we're an expert and argue with them and then, you know, attack them in the comments on Instagram and be like, I read this article that was produced five minutes ago by someone no one knows. Um, so you're wrong or whatever. It's not, the, I think the issue is that we've lost like our culture of curiosity. Like in, in that sense, it's like, oh, I'm just going to read this thing because it's like what Mark Andreessen sort of says is like um, strong opinions loosely held or, or whatever it might be. But like, and it ties back into anxiety as well is there's too much attachment to things like I know this, I'm this type of person. I read this. That's not important. It's like read something, be like, yep, that was interesting. Throw it away. If it needs to come up, it does. And I think, you know, you're showing that you have that perspective, Lewis, because you a number of times you've sort of said like, you know, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It kind of just is. Um, and, and I think that if a lot more people had that perspective, it wouldn't really matter. Like in that sense, if people were posting and tweeting and stuff, because I think uh, the volume is also cool because the volume of iteration of our knowledge and the speed at which uh, we can learn and evolve as a species is much faster and that's cool. But then it also comes with this downside. Yeah, I think... That's why I was cautious to saying, like, I don't have a judgment on, like, net good, net bad. And that's arguably a silly question to ask because you'd be comparing things that aren't comparable unless you, like, have some denominator of, like, human capital, like, as, like, the economic output because of this change. But what you're describing, right, like, the iteration is a definitive benefit that slow publishing cycles do not have. Yeah. And so, like, that is a clear pro to your side. Not saying I'm on the other side either. But I'm just saying, like... Let's just pretend we're on a different side. I don't know enough to be on a side. Yeah. Right? I'm like... Cause he's presenting things I haven't thought of and I know I haven't thought of them. So it's like, there's no right side, just but like, on the, pro, on the like that side, is the benefit of accelerated content is accelerated iteration, accelerated learning. Yeah. And like on the flip side, you think about Twitter, like never in the history of the world has anybody been able to just an- open their phone and share an opinion globally for free. That's a remarkable concept, right? But then you can also see <laughs> where that goes very wrong. Um, if you've, you know, ever been on crypto Twitter or like different things and, 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 and whatnot, it's, uh, it, it gets catastrophic, but, um, that, that, I guess that's also like Twitter's almost like a, a perfect example of like tragedy of the commons, like in that way, like when you, when you think about it, like there's not enough boundaries. Like I, I think it, what Mark Andreessen said, a lot of the problem with the internet is that the original sin of the internet was there was no money. I don't know if you've sort of heard this argument but like there it was it was a um it was like a government uh tax funded project and so you you couldn't actually be transfer money and make money on the internet and that's why they originally used advertising and uh the internet never really had a source of way and so like if we started to but now we've built this culture where we expect everything for free right but there's always a tax to everything and that's like what seneca says like you know you want to go travel you pay the tax you got to go through customs you want to go outside you pay the tax that like you might run into an annoying person or whatever i think we've forgotten that we pay tax on the internet because we get everything for free right and so we have all these bots and all these issues like imagine if you had to pay every time you made a tweet just like a little bit but you had to pay 
you would be more thoughtful about everything you tweeted and you wouldn't tweet every five seconds because it would cost you money and you know if you had to pay a little bit of money to write a comment every time you wouldn't spam people's comments and like there there's no um there's no penalty i guess you would say and 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 michael sailor's talked about this a lot as well like with bitcoin like if you could have some sort of like lightning network like you go in a hotel yeah, like chat is is a chat app that's like you have to pay to send it to, even among friends you have to like send some tiny amount of collateral yeah because that's like not the right word of payment you're not the, getting it back the way we can think about it is like there's no security deposits like you don't go into a hotel and just destroy it but you go onto someone's twitter profile and absolutely and destroy, destroy their it. whole credibility <laughs> like because there's there's nothing for you to lose there's no security deposit for you to go into that that ecosystem and like that's i think that's where we've run into a lot of these problems is because everything's just free but i think yeah. that's a, that ha, that that comes with problems yeah. as well but and i, I you think know, like, that's an, a, like an underlying problem not necessarily the underlying problem is just in general like a bit of a hubris with like innovation of like i'm going to be able to foresee the third order consequences of this and mm -hmm. i think that's just like the worst opinion and that's just yeah. generally like the man versus complex systems to be. It's like man loses. Spoiler it's, alert. It's hilarious when you think through edge cases. Have you guys seen the latest Spider-Man? Yes. I know this is a weird thing, but you know when Spider-Man's talking to uh, Doctor Strange and he wants him to remove but the... We gotta, now we're going to have to remember to make a note at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> well, actually, we uh, don't. It's just like... It's not really This a is spoiler. the part it's where you gonna... skip ahead two to three minutes just in case. It's... <laughs> it's not an important part of the movie but like i think it's really cool to think about how we don't think about edge cases like you know when he wants everyone to forget that he's spider-man yeah, this was like the first telling, 10 minutes yeah he's telling he's telling dr strange that he wants him to like cast this spell so that everyone forgets he's spider-man and then dr strange is like okay it was nice knowing you i'm gonna get everyone to forget you're spider-man he's like wait wait a second can you make everyone forget that i'm spider-man except i don't want mj to forget and i don't want this person to forget and I don't want, you know, his, his friend to forget. Like, that's what edge cases is in product. It's like, oh yeah, like, you know, you talk to your engineers, you're like, yep, build me this feature. And then you're like, oh, but I want the host to be able to like message everyone. And you start to like tie your shoelaces together because you can't think of the third, like the, what you kind of said, like, uh, what was the word you used? The third order consequences. Like, I, I don't think any of us are that good at it. and. I'd never experienced it until I was building a product because it's kind of an engineering way of thinking. Engineers are the only people that oftentimes run into these sort of third order consequences in that way. And I think if more of us thought like engineers, we might foresee these like problems that happen down the road. I think Kyle and I have one more question each. Cool. And then we will uh, call this a show. Kyle, you want to go first? Yeah. So... Uh, there's someone named Nolan that is on your team. What has it been like working with him? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm curious who said the the question is. I, I'm guessing. I, I'll give some feeders. Question? Some feeders. Just he's self-taught engineer. He needed more. Yeah. He needed some extra challenge. And there's a story about it was too yeah, easy okay, or it was too so, hard. And so there's like yeah, an interesting. Yeah, I almost Here. forgot about that part of the story, but that's one of my favorite parts about Nolan, ironically. Um, so hiring was obviously very hard for us when, uh, you know, over the last two years. And not because of anything other than the market. Like there was so much capital and everyone was paying so much money for like talent, right? Like 
Facebook would give a junior engineer like $300,000 to come and work for them. That's pretty hard to compete with. Um, and so we ended up having to take like a, if you guys have seen um, Moneyball by Brad Pitt, like that, that, that's kind of almost the strategy we had to take where you had to build a team of undervalued, underrecognized people in that sense. Um, we hired Nolan straight out of college, basically had no experience um, as a backend engineer. After like two or three weeks, we were like, oh, look, it probably doesn't know enough. Um, and I was like, look, man, it's not going to work out. Like you don't have the experience. And Nolan kind of looked me in the eye and he's like, you haven't given me hard enough work yet. Like, you know, you, you, you need to give me a chance and you, you haven't given me, you haven't given me a shot. Uh, and I was like, okay, like game on. Like I'd never, I was like, this guy's got confidence. Like that's a, that's a cool thing to see. And, you know, he was incredibly junior and like, I take our hat off to our, our like our CTO, Dakri, like Dak sort of took Nolan under his wing and trained him, but Nolan just to pause for a second, like Ido Portal, who I mentioned earlier, who's like a movement specialist, was saying that we have all of these courses about teaching people how to teach. But what we're really missing is teaching people how to learn, like people, teaching people how to be students is, is a bigger issue in the world. We have way too many teachers and not enough students. I think Nolan was an incredible student um, in that sense. And he was willing to learn and like he put in the hours like nolan would work like 16 hours a day seven days a week because he wanted to be there and he wanted to have that experience and now he's like one of our most valued team members and like every time nolan messages me on a sunday and he's like hey robbie can we chat i'm like oh shit is nolan gonna quit it's like it's like my biggest fear in the world now is 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 nolan leaving because he's he's turned into such like a key person risk and i'm like he's so talented now that he could go and work anywhere and you know, make enormous amounts of money and, and, and all these kind of things. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Nolan. Uh, it's been a, it's been a ride and just his humility has been like nothing I've ever seen and how hard he's worked. I think, you know, everyone wants to come out of school these days and romanticize and be an entrepreneur and be a big shot straight away. And they, they don't want to take the time to learn and build those skills and, and, and all those things. And I think, Nolan recognized an opportunity where Dak is an incredible engineer and he had this opportunity to work side by side with Dak and learn from him in sort of like a really intimate way. So, um, Kyle, I really appreciate you asking that because it gives me an opportunity to shout Nolan out. He, he deserves it for how hard he's worked. Um, so, yeah. I might struggle with the last name here, but was Adam Giha that person for you? That's an interesting one in a different way. Um, so I've had multiple, I've been lucky enough to have multiple mentors who have backed me um, in my career. Um, what was special about Adam was like, rather than investing in an idea, he didn't hire me and my business partner, James, he invested in us as people. And he was kind of like, I think you guys like are smart and you know, you guys are going to go somewhere in the world. I want to come along for that ride um, in that sense. And so it's it's kind of one of the most humbling things in the world to have someone invest in you. Um, I, I think that's something that's undervalued about raising capital um, that entrepreneurs don't respect. Like somebody like takes their hard-earned cash and they look at you in the eye and they go, I believe in you. Like I think that you can do what you say you're going to do and I want to back you. Like it's almost like a love letter to you. And I think that people don't honor that in, in a, in a really deep way. 
Um, and so that's where Adam was important. And like, I, I don't know if you guys have ever met Adam or you know enough about Adam, but Adam's just an incredibly deep, spiritually minded person. And like, I learned endless, endless amounts of things from him, but it was a different relationship to Nolan. My relationship with Nolan, like say like my DAC, I guess you would say, uh, was uh, my old business partner, James Kazinas. Um, James and I ran two different businesses together. We worked in the bank together and James is, I don't think I've ever met anyone like James in the world. Like James walks into a room and everybody just falls in love with him. He like, you know, he taught me the value of like being a great boyfriend or husband and being a great father. And like James would like not go to the pub on the, on the way on like after the bank, cause he needed to go home and like bath his son. And like, that was his like favorite thing to do and whatever. But James was also cool like everybody like idolized him and like all these kind of things it wasn't like he wasn't he somehow managed to fit in and be cool with everyone whilst doing things that aren't usually like quote-unquote cool um but James was also just a master communicator like in many different ways like somebody would write an email and they'd be like frustrated and James would just respond to the things that were logical like he wouldn't argue with you ever or he wouldn't take any offense to what you would say he would and it would almost drive people insane because they'd write this like antagonistic email and he just wouldn't respond to that. He'd just grab the two questions that you had in your email and just answer them. Like in that sense, like he's like, this is all nonsense. This is what you need to know. And like, he's just, yeah. So I, Adam filled a different role, but definitely a mentor role. Uh, but like a quote unquote, like coach, I don't know what you would call the, like I, I was more like James's student. Like you think about like a, um, uh, like Luke Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of like thing. Like I think student teacher relationship, that was more me and James. Um, and that's, that's kind of like what it's been for Nolan and, um, Nolan and Dak. But this is something I was talking to. I'm curious to get your perspective just before we go. I know we're running on time. I think this is actually a problem in the world. <laughs> um, everybody's looking for like a coach in a way. And I, I think one of the most dangerous things is to rely on somebody for like a, to hold you accountable like accountability is something that you should rely on yourself for and then you should have someone that teaches you things like i i i need to learn this specific thing or i i i need like like what you're doing kyle where you're like i want to learn this business model and i'm going to follow this person to learn this specific thing you're not following that person so they can wake you up in the morning and remind you to run and fill out your to-do list right like it's like you're there for like a specific purpose to learn a specific skill um i think that's where coaches and teachers are most useful whereas i think we're falling into the trap these days where everyone just needs a coach because like i want someone to hold them accountable or something like that in, you know the uh it's like if you get stuck on the side of the road and your car breaks down, it's like no one's going to pull over to help you until you get Correct. out and you start pushing the car yourself. And you can call your coach all you want, but they're not going to change your tire. Like you got to get your ass out of the car and you got to push the car uphill. Somebody, somebody will stop, but you got to start pushing. Exactly. Uh, that's a really beautiful analogy. I like that. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good place to stop, Robbie. Thank you so much for your time today. We wish you the very best with this. Before uh, we go, though, one final thing. If somebody listens to this and they're like, man, I really want to try this super app. I want to follow Robbie. I want to find out more about all of this. Where should we send them? 
Yeah, so you can go to thisapp.com. Um, right now, you can claim your username. Uh, so jump on there. I um back to what we we're talking about at NFTs at the start. I don't really believe in clubs, so we're not VIPing or holding back any username. Go and take whatever you want. First in, best dressed. Um, you know, our earliest supporters can get can benefit from whatever names they want. Um, so jump over to thisapp.com. Uh, claim your username. The app will be out in August, but. Uh, you can also follow us on our socials. We're, we're on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram um, as this app. And if you have any questions, feel free to message me on any of those platforms. You brought up Michael Saylor. Maybe like 25 years from now, someone's going to just have a, a sick uh, sick voice app, voice app name. I gave away the punchline. Someone's going to have a, a sick this app handle that they're going to sell for $30 million. <laughs> like a decade from now. We'll see. Go, yeah, you know, it's virtual manhattan so go go get it well robbie thank you so much and it's been awesome no problem thank you guys thank you very much that closes out this conversation with robbie wade founder of this app i enjoyed it a lot three takeaways from me the first is that social coordination is just a super complex problem that remains unsolved my hope is that robbie is able to make a dent in that problem but it's really something i've never thought about just how difficult social coordination is and I don't want to, I think I did this a little bit during the interview, I romanticized maybe how easy it was or how well figured out it was during the pre-digital, pre-internet era when you could just, you know, you had fewer options. You met people on the phone or you met up in a single location and kind of batch processed a lot of social planning and had some like routines and this, the world was smaller. Anyway, it's just super complex. And I, you know, hope Robbie makes a dent. I think a lot of the problem with social coordination these days is just people need a catalyst. They need like ideas of what to do for fun and they need a culture of like meeting up with people. I think it's very localized and all about people having ideas and a friend group. And I hope Robbie's app makes a dent by providing catalyst for ideas and providing groups of people, uh, groups for people to jump into, et cetera. Uh, second takeaway is I think his go-to-market strategies were really interesting. I liked these specific subsectors. Kind of the joke is like, you launch a product and it's like, well, it's for affluent women who do orange theory. Then you go see what your ad spend is. And it's like, well, everyone's trying to target their product to affluent women who do orange theory and own Peloton. So it's like, you have to spend a thousand dollars to have one person see it. Whereas you're going for something a little more esoteric, if you will, like freelance travel agents or burning man groups, you might be able to reach them. First of all, they're a lot more specific. So you can probably reach like all of them in an easier way. And two, they're probably just not everyone's trying to sell to burning man groups in the same way that everyone's trying to sell to 40-year-old affluent women who do orange theory. So I thought that was super interesting. And third one, I liked the unexpected benefit of Robbie's description of anxiety and depression. He described them as the anticipation that you're about to enter a situation with the wrong amount of energy. I just thought that was fascinating and something worth hearing again from me, not just Robbie. That's all I have to say for this conversation. A quick shout out to our sponsor before we sign off, Espresso Displays. We mentioned some mysterious guy named Scott in this episode. Scott is the founder CEO of a company called Espresso Displays. They're a sponsor. They support the show. They are the thinnest portable second monitors in the world. They give you the superpower of taking two screens everywhere you go. They're pretty awesome. There's a link to their products in the description. You can support the show by supporting them. Otherwise, you can support us by leaving a five-star or whatever star on Apple iTunes to let us know what you think of the show. And if you want to know about the next episode, make sure you subscribe so we see you then. That's all from me. See you in a week or so. Bye-bye.